Good morning. And the second reading is uh, Romans chapter 2, verses 6 to 29. It's on page 796. God will give to each person according to what he has done. To those by persistence, sorry, to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves. Even though they do not have the law, since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. This will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. Now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and brag about your relationship to God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you who are a guide to the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of infants, because you have the law, have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, then you who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you not, do not steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who brag about the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Circumcision has value if you observe the law, but if you break the law, you have become as though you had not been circumcised. If those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, they will be not regarded as though they were circumcised. The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you who, even though you have the written code and circumcision, are a lawbreaker. A man who is not a Jew, a man is not a Jew if he is, is only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart, by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. This is the word of the Lord. If you were tempted to close Romans up, please reopen it. It's a slightly convoluted passage. If you've uh, not been with us for a little while or are just passing through and visiting us, uh, welcome to the start of Romans. We're still in perhaps what is a, a slightly bleaker section. We get to the kind of 
real uh, joy and light in a week, well, next week and the weeks coming. Uh, so do stick around uh, and make the most of the beauty of the gospel, uh, the gospel for which, as we read a few weeks ago, the Apostle Paul is not ashamed, for it's the power of salvation first for the Jew, but also for the Gentile, for everyone who believes. Uh, hopefully you found Romans uh, by now. Hopefully as well, if you want to take notes, you've got space to do it. If there are response slips you would have got in your Bible as well, can I bring your attention to that? If you have questions or comments on anything that's said, uh, as well as prayer points uh, or any other correspondence, please make the most of those. Uh, but let's pray. Our Lord and Father, we uh, thank you for the goodness of your word. We thank you that you speak to us uh, clearly and carefully. Uh, Father, we pray that you would take away from uh, us the veil that hides your word. Uh, enable us by your spirit to understand it. Enable us by your spirit to live differently. Uh, Father, may we be able to delight in your word this morning. May uh, it challenge us where we need challenging, but may it as well bring us comfort where we need to find great comfort. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's clear that life is not fair. I don't have to do a lot of work to produce some evidence on that kind of statement, do I? Uh, the big television program of the past week was uh, the SBS reality doco, uh, Go Back to Where You Came From. Uh, six Australians were taken through the journey of uh, boat people and refugees. Uh, irrelevant of where you stand on the, the refugee if issue, it's a kind of powerfully personal way. It, it raised the inequalities of this world. You know, sometimes the, the kind of cocoon of daily life makes us forget just how unfair life can be. Now, but without even having to resort to kind of documentaries and those who are, are coming here from the third world, we do have that sense of life being not fair. Just saying that statement, you can kind of think in your mind of all those times where you just thought, that's just not fair, I'm missing out, I'm, I've been cheated here. You know, even in our own little spheres, some people seemingly have it easier than others. You know, some people have had better educational opportunities than others. Certain people are just naturally charismatic and, and seem like they're knocking back friendships left, right and centre, where, where others of us feel, feel kind of trapped and alone. It's just not fair. Life is not fair. And even in spiritual opportunities, life is not fair. You know, we've all got different stories. Uh, at a men's breakfast yesterday morning, Russ uh, shared his story of how he came to faith and it was a great story, a family of a Christian family, a model of parents who loved the Lord Jesus. Church was you know, just part of Russ's, you know, the, the air he breathed growing up. But some people don't have that kind of story. Some people don't just not have wealth and success. They, they don't seem to have the spiritual breaks either. Life's not fair and it raises questions about God. That's the point we arrive at in the, the logic of Romans so far. Uh, so earlier in, in 116, Paul had got all excited and he declared just how proud he is of the gospel. In 116, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Okay? And after this kind of joyous excitement, he turns aside from that bit to speak of how all humanity have sinned. How, how all humanity, to one degree or another, have exchanged the truth of God for a lie. But surely, but surely, we haven't all had it. Equal opportunity, have we? You know, like you know, it's a broad statement. Everyone's talking about, but it, you know, it hasn't all been you know a level playing field, has it? Because on one side, 
you've got the Gentiles. They didn't have the same opportunity to know God. And after reading what Paul had written about God's wrath in the back of chapter 1, the question begging for them and those who would have read it first as Gentiles is, God, haven't God judged me fairly? You know, I haven't had those spiritual breaks that others have had. And on the other side, you've got the Jewish audience that would have received this first, who would have been appalled at the idea that they were going to be treated the same as a garden variety Gentile. You know, hadn't God, hadn't their God made commitments to them? You know, is it really fair for God to ignore all their kind of past history? You know, they're the kind of anticipated objections in Paul's mind. Uh, as we get to those, those beautiful words in 2 verse uh, 11, for God does not show favouritism. If you find covering 24 verses of slightly convoluted logic um, a little too much, just aim for remembering five words. Okay, 2 verse 11, for God does not show favouritism. Other translations put it, God doesn't show partiality or he is no respecter of persons. The the word that Paul uses there for favouritism actually seems to be one that Christians made up. Uh, It seems to be one that, well, at least scholars haven't found the word used prior to Christians using it. Uh, it, it, It's actually, it it comes across as an invented word. Uh, It rams across, rams together two other known words, the word for face and the verb for receive, okay? So so he doesn't show favoritism, he doesn't receive the face. Uh, That is, it beautifully captures the idea of impartiality in that he doesn't take things at face value. He isn't swayed by appearances, he doesn't get overawed by public personas, Life may not be fair, but God is. He is not a respecter of persons. He doesn't receive the face. He doesn't show favoritism. The the phrase is used elsewhere in Acts 10, verse 34, uh, pointing particularly the way God welcomes without prejudice. He doesn't show favoritism when it comes to welcoming in, but, but here it actually points more to his true justice, the flip side of that welcome. Two ways in which God shows his impartiality. Uh, Two points for us to remember. One is that he judges everyone's works. And secondly, he accounts for opportunity. So first of all, he judges everyone's works. Uh, In in 6 to 11, God's impartiality is shown in the way that he does judge everyone's works. There's this careful structure and a pattern to the verses to help us see that. So if you start at the centre of just that little paragraph, those verses, there's this pairing of concepts in verse 8 and 9. That is that the self-seeking and the disobedient, they receive wrath and anger and trouble and distress. Then you kind of move out and bracketing that in verse 7 and 10, there's, there's glory and honour and peace and life for those who do good. And, and the bigger bracket is 6 and 11. Uh, God's impartiality is equated there to the way he judges works. He wants to equate... No favoritism equals accounting, judging actual deeds. And, he, and, and through that section, he, it's, it's an impartial judgment. He is impartial because it's an individual judgment. In verse 6, each person will receive according to their own works. Now, God is fair because he actually looks at the evidence for and against every single person. He doesn't just lump people in together. And he's impartial because it's a universal judgment. In verse 9, he points out punishment is for the Jew first, then for the Gentile. Uh, In Jewish thinking, that's everyone in the world. There's only two types of people. You're either a Jew or a Gentile. That's everyone. And likewise, rewards are equally universal. God is fair 
because no one will fail to stand in his eternal dock. And he's impartial because it's, it's a completely informed judgment. You know, he looks at the evidence of what actually is done, but more than that, if you move down to 2 verse 16, he judges the secrets of men, uh, men their generic sense of humanity, by Christ Jesus. You know, God doesn't show favouritism because he has all the evidence. You know, in, in our adversarial legal system, People are selective with evidence. You know, the, the prosecution will produce the evidence for their particular case. Defence will use what's actually useful to support their side. And lots of evidence will be left out. And, and even worse, lots of evidence just isn't known. You know, how, how can either side know what someone did alone behind a locked door? You know, how can anyone really access the motives behind a deed? We, we have trouble even knowing our own motives, let alone somebody else knowing our motives. God is fair because no secret, no moment escapes his account of your and my life. See, life might not be fair, but God shows no favoritism in judging each person by their works. It means, first of all, that you and I will be judged. Now, the common thread in Scripture is that judgment will be by works, salvation is by grace. Yeah, the judgment is by works, salvation is by grace. I, I think even Christians forget this. Now, many of us realise we're not going to be saved by our works, so we've kind of thrown the, the idea that we have to give an account at all. No, no, that's not biblical. You and I will be judged by works. We won't be saved by them. Be careful about that. We won't be saved by them. Uh, Paul is here not dealing with, with how anyone will get right with God, justified with him. He, he's establishing how God's a just judge. He's already made the point in chapter 1 that, that everyone, to one degree or another, has turned their back on God. And by Romans 3.20, it's still on the same double page there. If you look down at 3 verse 20, you'll see that no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law. You know, no one by their works can be right with God. The Anglican 39 articles speak of our works. Article 12, good works which are the fruits of faith and follow after justification, cannot put away our sins or endure the severity of God's judgment. Like our good works can't escape the judgment. They can't save us. But they are what we build on with if we've already got our foundation of justification in Christ. 1 Corinthians puts it that, that some of us will be saved, but our entire life's work will be burnt up as useless. Yeah, we are saved by grace, but we'll still give an account. Every deed, every thought. Even your secrets aren't secrets. Now, Spurgeon reflected on it this way. Secret offences shall be brought into judgment. The deeds of the night and of the closed room, the acts which require the finger to be laid upon the lip and a conspiracy of silence to be sworn. All that you have done, any of you, or are doing, if you are bearing the Christian name and yet practicing secret sin shall be laid bare before the universal gaze. If you sit here amongst the people of God and yet where no eye sees you, if you are living in dishonesty, untruthfulness or uncleanness, it shall be known and shame and confusion of face shall eternally cover you. Contempt shall be the inheritance to which you shall awake when hypocrisy 
shall be no more possible. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. He will bring the secrets of men into judgment. God shows no favoritism, so you and I will actually be judged on what we do. Psalm 130 puts it, Lord, if you mark the transgressions, who could stand? But with you, O Lord, there is forgiveness and therefore you to be feared. You know, the, the alarming reality of his impartiality drives us to seek mercy rather than justice. But even if you have found that mercy, even if you are to be saved, realize your life's work can be found as nothing. Of course, there's a positive flip side to all this. The positive flip side of this impartial judgment is what you do genuinely matters. And don't we all want a life like that, a life that, that genuinely matters? Yeah, that God is actually going to ask for an account of every deed, gives meaning to your actions. It, it affirms that you are a morally responsible and useful being. You know, works are an important expression of who you are. And when all those works are laid bare on the day of judgment, our good deeds will be be publicly cited as evidence of of our union with Jesus. And the good we seek out and do, whether it's it's secret or whether it's public, it's entirely worthwhile. It's worth pouring yourself out for. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 puts it, Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Article 12 which I cited a little bit of before, it goes on to say that yes, while our works can't put away our sin, yet they are pleasing and acceptable to God in Christ. So last week my mum got a phone call from her pastor at her church. Uh, He was trying to find housing for uh, an excessively drunk woman who needed a place to stay. Uh, My parents put her up and it wasn't without challenges, not least the kind of clean up the vomit and things like that that excessively drunk people seem to produce. Uh, You know, he was going further than was comfortable to do good. (laughs) And God's accounting of every action means it genuinely matters. It's good, it's value, it's worthwhile. We mustn't tire of doing good. You know, praise God for those who, who serve at community lunches, who, who lead connect groups, who teach kids church, who provide meals for those in need, who, who run Simply Christianity. You know, their works really do matter. Now, I'm not claiming that Christians have the, the kind of sole rights to good deeds in this community. I'm not, not trying to say that. But, but, but more than anyone, we should be passionate for them because we know God will actually call and count for them. So God does not show favoritism. We know that because you'll judge people on what they do, but the complaint could still be, yeah, but it's not a level playing field, is it? After all, some people just have a better background and so better education and better training, and and that sets them up to to live a kind of good life, doesn't it? And other people just don't have that kind of break in life. And Paul anticipates that, and he deals with it. The second aspect of God's impartiality, his lack of favoritism in verse 12 to 29, is that his judgment will actually account for opportunities, for privilege. God will account for it by his judgment considering you doing what you did with what you had. Verse 12, people's knowledge of his law or lack of it will be taken into consideration. Those who sin either apart from the law or under the law. The principle in verse 13, it's, it's not those who hear the law, it's not, but those who obey it. Uh, law at this point, he's not talking about the law of the land and you know, I just didn't realise in New South Wales you weren't allowed to do this. No, no, he's referring to God's law. Uh, 
at the very least, the opening five books of the Bible, perhaps the whole Old Testament itself. You know, for Gentiles in, in verse 14 and 15, they may not have had the chance to read God's word. But he says they've got a sense of natural law. And with their moral sense, you know, having a sense of you know, murder is wrong, and, and, and that connects with what God said. And they've also got this conscience that operates too to hold them to account. You know, God is fair and he will judge their works by what little they know of his revelation. But he's also fair in judging the Jews by their privileges. Paul, a Jew himself, points out their opportunity in revelation, their privilege there. In verse 17, they know the law. You know, that means in verse 18, they actually know what God wants of them. He's revealed it to them. They've had an opportunity there. They've got a, as well a privileged role. From verse 19, they've got this unique role in the world. Uh, they're the guides to the blind. They're the light to the, those in darkness. They are instructors of the foolish. They're teachers of children. They have this privileged role. And sadly, by the time you get to verse 24, the way they've used their role, this privilege... To make God known to the Gentiles has meant that the Gentiles blaspheme God. They've misrepresented God, even with all their role. The Jews also have this privileged relationship there. In verse 25, he starts talking about circumcision. Um, circumcision is not just an issue of you know, medical hygiene. In Genesis 17, circumcision was founded as this sign of relationship with God. This, this cut in the flesh of Jewish men was a sign of God's unique commitment to them and vice versa. Yeah, but Paul's pointing out having a sign of a relationship is completely meaningless if you don't have the reality of it. You know, to, to wear a wedding ring is meaningless if I don't see my wife, if I don't speak to my wife, if I don't live with my wife. If I don't have the relationship, the sign is pointless. And that's the same with, with circumcision. In verse 29, it means that in the end... You know, circumcision, real circumcision, is the reality of it. It's in, it's in the heart by the Spirit. So God, Paul's building this case saying that he, God is not a God of favoritism because he accounts for the opportunity when he judges. Those who know little, their works will be viewed accordingly. But, but those with immense privilege aren't given an easy ride. There's greater responsibility. Now, two ways that needs to shape us. If we're, if we're going to take that impartiality seriously, first I think we need to have a heart and concern for the Jewish people. So the temptation of this section is because we live two thousand years down the track in a radically different culture, just kind of go, oh, whenever you see Jew in Romans two, just go, oh, Christian in Sydney. No, 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 it's not quite as simple as that. The Jewish people are the inheritors of great privilege, great promises. They will be judged accordingly. Uh, there is a, a truly evil misunderstanding of this that in, in history has led to kind of anti-Semitism and, and hatred of them for their rejection of their Christ. That's unbiblical. Now, the flow of Romans doesn't lead us to condemn Jewish people for squandering them, but, but rather have a heart for them, for they're going to be judged for their privilege. Now, the gospel is first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. Now, we feast on their leftovers, unless you're a Jewish person here amongst us. Uh, the Book of Common Prayer uh, in its Good Friday service has this prayer that I've got to admit the first time I led a service with it, I was kind of caught off, by, off my guard. Uh, I'll read a little bit of it. Uh, it speaks of, Merciful God, you have made all men and hate nothing you have made. You don't desire the death of a sinner, but rather he should be converted and live. Have mercy on your ancient people, the Jews. 
and all who don't love you. And it goes on to pray for them. You kind of go, yeah, we've got to recapture a concern for them is the flow of Romans. But, but more than that, we need to be warned, beware presuming on your privilege. Yeah, we can't simply equate Sydney Christian to Jews in, in Romans 2, but there is a principle. God will judge us accounting for our opportunity. Where we've had privilege in knowing him, there comes responsibility. And we are a privileged people. Yeah, we're privileged in terms of, of revelation. We know lots about God. Uh, God will call us to account for that. A family I went through uh, Bible college with uh, now trained pastors over in Vanuatu. Uh, I remember them saying to me how uh, the average Christian in Sydney, you know, it's somebody who get, gets along to church each week, goes to a Bible study, they have a far, far greater knowledge of the Bible than most pastors in Vanuatu. Uh, not because you know, people in Vanuatu are, are stupid or anything like that. They're just not wealthy enough to have our level of education or, or our level of wealth for leisure time to learn of God. You know, we are privileged in what we know and God will judge accordingly. Likewise, we're, we're, we have a privileged role. The Christian church does inherit that role of Israel as, as the light to the world. God will hold church by the bridge. He will hold our congregation to account. Uh, to, to paraphrase a little verse 24 as to whether we represent him accurately to Kirribilli or whether Kirribilli blasphemes Jesus because of the way we present him. The impression we give off. Now, we have the privilege of complete and perfect relationship you know, with the Father, Son and, and Spirit. When, but if we squander that relationship, you know, if we treat as secondary that relationship to a promotion at work, if, if our family or friends drown out the time to read the Word, if, if our hobbies make us too busy to pray, if, if our commitment to physical health overcomes the commitment to spiritual health of serving others and growing in Christ, He will hold us to account. Yeah, we have a great many privileges and it'll do us no good though if we presume on them. Life is not fair, but God is. He will judge your works and mine. He will account for every opportunity for God does not show favouritism. Let's pray. Our Lord and Father, we thank you that you're a God who is just and fair. We praise you that you are impartial. Uh, you look beyond the things that so often uh, we judge by, that you see everything, even the secrets and the things we seek hidden from others. And Father, we uh, throw ourselves both on your mercy, but ask as well that you would work in us, that we would make the most of the privileges and opportunities you've afforded us. Uh, Father, uh, may we live conscious that uh, you are ruler and you are judge, and you do not show favouritism. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.